Hello and welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate. Uh, as always, I am your host, Mike Bifulco. I am sitting down here today to talk with a new friend of mine named Or Weiss from Permit.io. Or, it's great to sit down and chat with you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Super excited to talk with you, Mike. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, it's um, always interesting to meet people who are working in the developer experience world, especially around uh, APIs and things like that, which is obviously why you and I are talking today. Um, yeah, so let's start here. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself uh, and your your sort of history before uh, uh, Permit.io, which is what you're working on right now, and how we got to Permit existing. Sure, sounds like a plan. So uh, my name is Or Weiss. You probably gathered that by now. My background's in the intelligence core in the idea, where I was an officer, a developer, reverse engineer, engineer, team lead, yada, yada. Basically a cliche, an Israeli entrepreneur. Uh, afterwards, I worked in a startup called Integua, where we built containers before containers were a thing, but with a terrible go-to-market, even worse than Docker's, after they ruined their go-to-market. Um, I worked a couple of startups, founded a startup called Reactful that was acquired by Metadata.io, was a VP of R&D in a cybersecurity company. And uh, between late 2016 till up till... Uh, almost three years ago, I co-founded and ran a CEO of a company called Rookout, uh, which is another uh, dev tool, uh, production debugging solution. I didn't go as far as like the company that created the production debugging space. And uh, during my time at Rookout, I ended up building access control to our product five times when the company wasn't even three years old. And I just said, that's stupid. I don't want to do it once, let alone five times. And reflecting on it, I realized that throughout my career, I've been building this crap, part of my French, for thousands of times. At, at no point, at no point did I want you. Um, I got together with a friend of mine of software, now we know each other for 18 years, which makes me feel old. And he, uh, aside from serving with me in the unit, he also worked at Facebook Meta, where he worked on their internal developer tools and in infrastructure and authorization. And he saw that they've invested a team of 30 people for half a decade to build the level of access control that they have. So we did the math and we quickly realized that it's not only a huge problem now and a huge annoyance now, it's only going to get far worse down the road as the complexity of software continues to arise and as more machine learning agents are mixed in. So if you think it's hard to manage users and their access to your product, wait till you need to manage their machine learning uh, machine learning models as they talk to your machine learning models. And I, I just got back from KubeCon EU uh, in Amsterdam. And if some one thing was apparent is that every company now is plugging in a machine learning model, a chat GPT-like thing into their software. Um, and that's going to make access control there and security there <laughs> quite the challenge, I'd say. I'll say, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, feature set to be working on. I feel like every product team I've worked on, every product I've worked on, every project I've worked on, whether it's for, for a formalized company or not, this feels like one of those things where it's like ends up being engineered into the product later on, right? Like for a prime on the list of tech debt is, oh, we'll put in permissions later. For now, we'll just only give logins to the people who need it, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone starts like we all talk about permission models, but everyone starts with the most classic one, which is called admin, not admin. Meaning, I'm the developer, I'm the admin. All of you guys will stick with whatever else I, I'll leave out. And then requirements start to funnel in. And then your stakeholders want permission. So you go, okay, okay. So we'll have 
admin, super admin. I'll be the super admin. And then uh, just a regular user. And then it moves to access control list. And then it moves into Arbeck. Arbeck is like the bread and butter of this world, right? Role-based active control. You have a role that gives you permissions. But then it continues. See, like a lot of people think it, it ends there, but it doesn't. Attribute-based access control. Like how do you define a policy? Like only users that have paid for a feature can use it. Is that like a billing, like a paying role? What, what, what would be that? And then you have role-based access control and just on and on. This is, I like to say that permissions is the gift, the gift that keeps on giving. And I, I mentioned my story at Rookout. So I, I literally went through the same thing, but same point, same pain point. I thought, okay, I'm done with this. Like the fourth time or fifth time I built it, I was like, I have built the best damn access control solution out there. It's perfect. I'm never going to have to touch it again. And I remember it really shattered me. Uh, one of our uh, business partners, Cisco, came in. They were co-selling Rookout. And they came in and said at some point, we want our own back office. And I was like, ah, checks. I didn't think of that one. Okay, out the window, start from scratch yet again. And because every product is a snowflake and because every product manager is a unique being, and because your security compliance is always your own thing, there's constantly new things that each product needs to tackle in a proprietary way. Sure. Yeah, I think that's pretty easy to imagine. Um especially with these sort of like evolving product scape where, where um, project teams will add features to their product that add complexity or add uh, collaboration needs and things like that. Um, one thing that I feel like has been coming up quite a bit lately, which is probably related to what you're working on, is everyone and their brother is building an AI-based tool, which is uh, usage-based. And so you may pay for credits per use or something like that in advance. And that's sort of a different view of access control, right? You may only get I don't know, call it 100 executions of some bit of functionality per, uh, you know, payment that you make. And so that's a very different feeling than do you have access to this thing as a user? It's do you have access to this thing as a user and have you paid for it and you still have, you know, leftover bits of credit? Yeah, these kind of quotas add challenges both in how you manage the data that your authorization layer needs and also in the real-time event-driven aspect that you need for it as part of your application. It's no longer something that you can manage statically or you can manage with periodic update. It's alive with the same pace of change of your application. And it's in a performance critical way. Sometimes like if you allow them to exceed the quota or if you allow them or if you allow the quota to be miscalculated when it's kind of in the race condition, it can even really break things and affect the financials. So you need the authorization layer to not just be well-organized and well-modeled. You also need it to be extremely performant and event-driven. And it's really hard to do if you haven't planned for it in advance and if you haven't set the groundwork for that. So a lot of what I try to do when I work with um, the community that we've built around our open source project, Opal and around Permit as a company, it's not just um, providing these tools. It's also providing the best practices and tools to think about this problem. I spend most of my time in also the best, the, like this is what I like the most about my job, talking to fellow kindred spirits and just geeking out on the tech and helping people like myself solve this problem. So it's, we, we really try to also bring in the best practice table, the decoupling your policy and code, creating a separate microservice for authorization, building in an event-driven architecture that will enable you to scale it out and uh, keep it with the pace of the changing requirements of your application and the 
pace of the application itself. Like a lot of people don't realize that like in an average microservice application, you need to handle three or four position queries on average for every incoming request. So unless you have something that is ready for that scale and pace, you're going to have a bad time. So, and if you plan for it though in advance, even if you don't build, even if you don't use any tools, if you don't use the open source, but you just couple out the things that you need to be independent, like the policy from the code, like the data plane from the authorization engine itself, um, you can save a lot of pain just by having a little bit of foresight. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like we, we've dove in headfirst here. And one of the things that I find comes up a lot with people who may be new to building applications that have sort of a user-facing feature uh, of any uh, form is the, the important difference between authentication and authorization, uh, right? I feel like those things are easy to uh, confuse. So um, can you maybe help disambiguate that? What is authentication? What is authorization? And what do they have to do with each other? Yes, of course. I, I do that disambiguation basically uh, three times a day. So happy to do that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So maybe first let's start with identity management. So IAM, identity management and access control. So you have identity management, authentication, and authorization, permission. These are all three cascading waterfall-like tiers that connect one another. So identity management happens on the organization side. That's just deciding which identities you have, which are part of the organization, which are not, then what data or attributes or claims you have about them. Then as you move towards products or applications, those users or identities want to consume, you move through authentication, which is the main responsibility for that is to verify the identity. So it's talking to the identity management, talking to other sources of identity, biometric data, um, uh, one-time password tokens that you send over SMS, multi-factor, and that's allowed to determine if you are who you say you are. That usually culminates in creating a JSON web token. That's like uh, a cryptographically signed document. Uh, that acts kind of like your passport that you take with you either in your cookie or in your HTTP headers or whatever else you use to communicate with your end. And then you go and you get into the app itself and you have your identity. And a lot of times additional claims, like you belong with this department, your current location or residency is this country. Um, and then the application needs to decide what you are allowed to do or not, which is very different from authentication. That's authorization or uh, permissions. There you need to evaluate the policy, take in the relevant data of what's happening now and what's the current context. Where are we in the world? What this, which service am I? Uh, what are they trying to do, et cetera, et cetera, and come up with an answer. Can they do this or not? And the challenge there is that that's deeply ingrained into the code, into the product. Unlike authentication that just happens once at the gateway, authorization needs to happen for every little request interacting with the system. Otherwise, it will be vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, that is a uh, great synopsis there. And I think maybe the biggest disservice that new developers run into is that we tend to refer to both of them casually as off, right? Problematic, very, very problematic that those two things have different functions and they're, they're codependent and use the same name. Honestly, in defense of every developer out there, the ecosystem hasn't done us any favors. If you think about it, if you, even in HTTP, when you, there are multiple authentication methods, one of them is called the bearer token. And you literally write in the HTTP headers, it's authorization and then the bearer token, the JSON web token. So for we are literally calling the authentication, the authorization. So everyone's confused. And you have things like OAuth, 
and specifically OAuth uh, 2, um, which talks about authorization, but it's part of uh, like in single sign-on and uh, it's how you do authentication. So it's it's really a mess out there. I, I think our predecessors kind of uh, left a lot of technical debt for us to fix. Um, but that's that's being engineers. We built on the shoulder of giants and on the crap they left as well. For sure, yeah. Maybe it's a, an opportunity for us that the, uh, the language creates such ambiguity in what we've got going on here. So I try to call this, I try to call this permissions just to avoid the confusion. Yeah. Okay. Actually, that's perfect. So my next question is, uh, I, I feel like I hear people use permissions and entitlements uh, in, in the same context often. And this is probably something I'm guilty of that I sort of think of those two things as the same. Is that in your world? Is that roughly the same thing? So they're very different. <laughs> Perfect. But I don't uh, begrudge anyone confusing them or interchanging them. I think it's okay. Like we don't need to make a, a big issue out of it. But if you want to be, uh, if you want to be nitpicky, um, permissions are what you're allowed to do or not. Entitlements are um, claims or values or uh, information that can be used to make those deductions. So for example, you can have the entitlement of a manager or an admin in a system that can be even coming from the uh, identity management that would still need to be translated into an application level role in the application itself you're providing. And that needs to be translated into specific permission. So I like to think of a permission as the intersection between identity, resource, and action. So, or a principle. So instead of identity, if you prefer, this person with this context or this entity with this context, got to be an automated agent, obviously. This entity with this context, what, are they allowed to perform this action against this resource or not? Uh, and in literally in perfect, so we really, we really put a lot of effort in building a simplified UX. Part of the cool things about Permit is that we have a low code, no code editor that generates policies code for you. So we literally took that concept and translated it into a table. So when you, you want to say, oh, I have the permission or an admin has the permission to delete a file, you literally click a checkbox at the intersection between file and delete. Yeah. Yeah. That was a wonderful explanation, and I can tell that this is something that you've done more than once. And clearly, this is not a part of the the stack that I uh, dip my toes into too often. Uh, this is one that I'm going to keep in my pocket very, very handily as a, hey, even uh, someone who's been around the block a few times uh, gets the answer wrong pretty regularly. You know? Yeah, and uh, by the way, I get these kind of, there's a lot of these little confusions out there, both in the implementations of things and all just the names that you have things and um so what we try to do with that like i really just make it approachable for people as much as possible so i spend a lot of my time like i encourage people listening to us reach out to me i'm like uh, or wise or weis on twitter on github on linkedin whatever like and uh, i'm happy to help i'm happy to answer questions like even silly ones um yeah perfect yeah thank you um so i'm, I'm interested in hearing maybe some of the basics of, about permit then so uh Maybe let's start here first. Uh, how does it work? Is, does Permit essentially work as a middleware? Is it something that you integrate into um, your API side? Uh, does it, is the generated code something that I inherit? How does, how does it work? 
terrific question. So at the core of it, we are providing a policy engine for you to work with. So maybe you've heard of Open Policy Agent, OPA, or maybe you've heard of Cedar from AWS and there are a bunch of others. These are engines that are general purpose. You load them with policy, you load them with data, and then you can query them. So we provide that agent for you, bundle up all nicely in a container that you can run it as a sidecar or as a cluster next to your app. Or if you, and soon it will be available from AWS, you'll have Amazon verified permissions. So that's a service that will be running that agent for you and we can, and we layer on top of that. So we, but we enable you to run this next to your software and that's very important for two reasons, two, actually three reasons. Uh, the first one is latency. As I said before, every microservice application on average handles three authorization queries per request. Even if you just go out to an external cloud uh, for one, for a 50 milliseconds roundabout, uh, you'd be killing the performance of your app. So this needs to be as little latency and ideally zero latency. So by deploying the service next to your app, ideally as a sidecar or at least on the same physical machine, you remove the latency aspect. Yeah, for part, obviously permissions or security is a critical aspect. If that doesn't work, you, you, you don't want your app to work. Let's put it that way. So if you're dependent on the external availability of, for example, our SaaS service or any other cloud, well, you're going to have a bad time. So you want everything, that decision engine, to be able to answer everything locally. So this is where our open source project, Opal, comes in. Opal, Open Policy Administration Layer, is a way to keep policy agents up to date with the policy and data that they need in real time. So you, Opal subscribes to uh, policy management from Permit or your own use of it as an open source project. And it fetches the instructions for data and policies it needs. Policies arrive directly from Git repositories because we want to manage them as policies. And data arrives from whatever you need it, including your local database. Another, so this is where the security aspect comes in. You could load data into your authorization layer with Permit without being dependent on uh, sharing it with permit at all, because Opal sends instructions on where to get the data instead of the data itself. So we now understood the PDP, the container that can that runs in your app. We also provided hosted, but ideally in production at least, you run it as part of your app. All that's left is for your app to consume the decision point uh, via enforcement points. Um, there are multiple ways you can do so. You can apply it in the code, then you can apply it externally, like in a reverse proxy or API gateway. But applying it in the code is the most classic and uh, most people do. So we provide a function, an SDK function, in basically in every language you want, called permit check. It receives three arguments that I think will sound familiar to you. Identity, resource, and action. You're basically saying this identity, the identity being the JSON web token that you got from your authentication. By the way, that we seamlessly connect the authentication providers and identity management without having to replicate any of them at all. Um, so you have the identity performing this action on this resource. So in your app, you're describing what's happening instead of describing how you should handle it. So you don't put the policy there, just doing the description that permits that check flow. By the way, even for people both doing the open source option or doing uh, completely building on their own, I really recommend this pattern. Decouple your policy and code and work with identity resource action. It simplifies reasoning. It allows you to put the, sec the policy separately and it gives you a lot of elasticity with mutating your app or mutating your authorization layer afterwards. 
So you put in that permit check, it directly talks to that PDP, the license that you wrap, so zero latency. You get authorization decisions and you're good to go. Now we only need to do is manage the policy. So this is where the pair permit uh, control plane comes in. We have a policy editor UI that I like to say a monkey can use, or even a product manager if they're smart enough. By the way, the product managers love that joke. I'm not sure why, but they just love it. Um, so we generate code for you. The policy editor is something that you can uh, do some clicks with. It does both RBAC, role-based access control, and ABAN. So you can do very complex policies, but with an interface that you can easily use yourself and obviously easily delegate to other people. This is actually one of the most important things I think um, we've permit recognize is that you don't want to do this. Like you don't want to build a policy and take care of it all day, groom it like a bonsai tree. You want to get rid of the scrap. So you want to bake something in and delegate this to the other people, product, security, compliance, sales, professional services, support, whomever, everyone and everyone needs to connect. In the end of the day, building access control is about connecting people and systems to what you've built in a secure fashion. And any company building a product, that's what you're doing all the time. So you want to enable all the people around the table to do so without turning yourself into a bottleneck. So that's what that um, policy, uh, low-code uh, policy generator does for you. But still, you get all of the best practice here. It's a low-code interface that generates code. So for example, if you're choosing re Rego or Cedar, we write that code for you. Uh, by the way, these are complex languages. They're not like um, Python or Go. Uh, they're derivatives of Datalog or Prolog. Those are basically a rule engine that recursively runs between all of the rules and functions that you wrote. So it's kind of, it's not a run of your meal, run on the meal uh, uh, language. So it also can be a lot of annoyance just to learn this new thing. So we just take that off the table. You can just generate the policies for it, but they get pushed into Git. And in Git, you can add more code on your own if you want. You can do code review. So if that product manager creates a policy, you can review it. You can do tests on it, you can do benchmark. So you, while you delegate access to the access control, you don't lose the control yourself. That's something that is very important. By the way, I think with every developer product, every developer pro product should be very powerful, uh, but easy to use. And you can choose on that slider as a developer, how much you want to go deep into the read but you never should be forced to. You always should be able to, but never forced to. That's my, in general, my philosophy about the dev tool. So we generate that code for you. And uh, we provide a lot of other interfaces like user management and audit logs and uh, interfaces that you can embed for end customers, but that's uh, in just the basic concept. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to digest there. Um, I think one of the fundamental things that um, maybe is a, is a subtle point that I feel like is probably something that Permit is using quite um, elegantly is that all authentic, um, make sure I'm saying this right, authentication providers who use JWTs uh, is, JWT is a secure but also mutable thing, right? Like you can send information within that token, uh, which is important. It sounds like you're tapping into that functionality to be able to, uh, you know, provide the permissions information to enable um, various scenarios for, for whatever the cases may be there. Um, that is, that's a subtlety that I think a lot of, um, uh, author, uh, yeah, authentication providers don't get across super well. Like they tend to say they dangle it in front of you. We use JWT, but I think the breadth of what that means is uh, a little trickier than, than maybe not trickier, but a little more, uh, deep than it seems on, on first glance. They, they actually do something there is, that is more insidious. 
they tell you that they provide role-based access control for you. And they're doing two major sins at once there. One, they tell you that they've done RBAC for you, so you're done. But then you get that JSON web token and you still need to write code to actually enforce access. And what happens is when the claims change or if the uh, identity management uh, for the customer uh, ends up sending different thing, they, it, you actually haven't built RBAC. You've built claims or entitlements and now you need to process them into your actual policy and you actually need to write code or something to handle that. And the second part is that they're actually confusing the term roles. So there are two kinds of roles here. There's the roles that you have in the organization and the roles that you have in your app. And they're not the same thing. If you're the, for example, the VP of marketing, that what does that mean in the app? Are you an editor? Are you an admin? Are you a monkey? What, what does that mean? So the translation, a critical application concept, logic translation needs to happen. And a lot of times they, they try to kind of minimize the difference there. Um, but that actually creates more work for you as a developer. So recognizing that early, by the way, I'm not saying that don't use those claims. Those claims are great. Those are amazing attributes that allows you to connect to the customer side and have uh, the ability to build complex attribute-based control policies. But you need to recognize that they're that thing that you need to manage that complexity, not just assume that some magic fairy would come in and uh, make it all work for you. Right. Yeah. That's a fair point. Uh, so I want to talk about onboarding then for permit. What are, what does your typical use case look like when people are coming to permit? Like where, where are they at in the product development life cycle? Are they brand new? Are they working on something where they're trying to shoehorn in permissions or are they reworking permissions entirely? So most often than not, it's someone that's already has something in place, but a new requirement has come in. As I mentioned before, permissions is the, the gift that keeps on giving. So every three, six months, there's new requirement comes in and you either completely refactor or uh, refurbish your uh, forization layer. Um, and so we do get some people starting from scratch, but most people have something in place. And something that we recognize is that you don't want to touch it as long as it's working. As long as you don't have another requirement or an issue, you, you should, I encourage you, stick with what you have. Uh, but once you do come to that point where you need to upgrade, recognize that it's probably not the last time. And then it's a question of how do you best utilize your time to both meet the current requirements and make it easier next time you need to upgrade. And that's, and that's where the best practices come in. Decoupling policy and code, working with policy as code, making it event-driven, creating the interfaces for the average stakeholders. There's a talk that I gave at OWASP covering all of these in detail, so I can just Google it. Yeah, um, I'll make sure I put a show note, a link in the show notes as well. Sure. Uh, so I don't, I won't go too much in the reads into that, but by recognizing that you can really improve things. A lot of times when people, I get a lot of calls, like we have a Canada link on the footer of our website. I get a lot of calls for that. And, uh, I tell people like, what do you actually need to do now? You shouldn't like refactor everything at once. Let's be focused here. We need to be cost effective. But let's also recognize what are the easy things that we can implement that will minimize technical debt later. And a lot of times it can be even something very simple, like uh, just decouple it out, just create the microservice for authorization if you don't have one. It can be even a, like a Lambda function that currently just returns true for everything. But you can gradually add more logic into it and then switch in place. 
place it with a different container or a different service or a different open source project. Um, but but by starting to have that modularity, you do two things. A, you set the ground for it, what you actually want to build, and you're communicating to the rep, to the other engineers uh, about where this is going. This is, by the way, the mirror image of this is where most of the pain comes from. By putting the authorization in the app itself, what you end up having is organic drift where people just, other engineers just add more things into it. So you find a lot of these if conditions that have logic both for the app itself and for the authorization there. And then when you want to change it, you have to cherry pick and kind of go one by one to fix it up. By and then step where you're communicating to everyone. This is a separate thing. Don't push your silly if condition here. It, it, it doesn't go here. Uh, so you're also um, preventing more uh, dirt or unrelated stuff accumulating there. Uh, and that will also save you work later. You less cleaning to do aside from just setting the stage. Yeah, I have personally done that many times where I've had to go in and uh, de-mess up that if statement that I wrote months and years ago or someone else wrote months and years ago uh, as complexity increases. And I think that's one of those things that um, you're paying yourself a big favor in the future if you're able to sort of, even just at the early stage, like you said, kind of plumb, plumb in an if true or whatever, you know, a return true statement there. Um, very, very similar, weirdly, to, to um, in, a, in a recent past life, I was doing developer advocacy at Stripe. Uh, and changing your pricing strategy, uh, you know, months down the line is an infuriating process if you haven't thought of it in advance. Uh, so giving yourself like decoupling all of the logic of everything so that you can plug and unplug things is really helpful, especially in a world where you may need to test or iterate on things or, uh, you know, add complexity too. That's, um, that's a bit of wisdom that is not to be taken for granted, certainly. Yeah. I, by the way, I really love Stripe. We drive a lot of uh, inspiration from from the play there. I really love both the developer alignment and the thoughts around the how a product should grow and how you um, not only provide it for the developers, but through the developers for everyone else. That's a, a philosophy that I really subscribe to. And that one of the features that we ended up creating for Permit is something that we call Permit Element. And we just ripped up the concept directly from Stripe Elements. And so with Stripe Elements, you have ready-made UI components for billing, uh, like a checkout, for example, that you can abandon to your app. And so we've done the same with, uh, with permit element. These are ready-made experiences for user management and access control. And actually, when you think about it, these are the main things that you actually do with access control. These are experiences, you know, like things that you've seen a billion times, uh, user management with the ability to assign roles, API key management, secrets management, audit logs for yourself, for your end customer, multi-tenancy management, approval flows, when user starts an action, where user approves it, invites, permission requests, emergency access, impersonation, and this, this just goes on and on and on and on. So the philosophy is, this does not unique to any end. Why, why in the hell should I build this? Why can't I focus on what actually my apps needs to do? So we just provided ready-made. You can always build them on top of our API. Again, that's the same philosophy. You should always have the power to do whatever you want. You're the developer, you know best. But if you don't want to, you shouldn't be forced to. And so we provide it off the shelf. Yeah, I think that's very smart. The um, UX designer part of my brain also really loves that because you're not reinventing the wheel uh, and you're taking advantage of presumably permit elements. If, if I went in and looked at the UI library, it would look awfully familiar and just by seeing it, I would be keyed into what the likely functionality of that bit of interface does. 
which is a wonderful thing because you're taking advantage of all the deep, you know, ingrained psychology that we've given ourselves from using uh, software for all these years. Um, yeah, definitely always a good idea to reuse things and not uh, create, you know, clever um, parallel patterns for things when you don't have to. Uh, so, or we, we've talked a little bit about um, your product from a, I guess, from a ground up standpoint. So um, really interesting to hear, you know, the, the very basics of where the problem came from and then sort of why uh, it's important to think about this from the beginning of uh, building out your software, but then also what it's like to take on complexity and why permit can help with that. Um, I, I know, um, there's a lot of developers who will come to this thing with a, okay, I think I fit the scenario you're talking about here. Um, what, what is the first thing that a developer does when they jump in with permit? What is sort of hello world? Uh, so the hello world is picking, so per permit is very granular. So you can put it if you just apply it to like a single function, a single microservice, a single route, a single middleware, single application, whatever you choose. So it's about picking the right granularity for you to start. Like, what do you actually care about now? What do you actually want to try? Adding that one permit check and seeing how you change things from the editor, they propagate into Git and in real time propagate into the your live application and you're able to change the permission, just toggle one action on and off very quickly. That's the, uh, that's usually where you get it. And, uh, and then you move to like, okay, let's add another role and assign it very quickly. Now let's make the roles dynamic and assign it very quickly. Now let's have different, two different applications or two different tenants with slightly different policies. And it's gradually, everyone kind of drifts from there into their own snowflake scenario. Um, and it's, it's very easy to start. And the end of the day, it's just embedding an SDK or potentially a microservice. Um, you don't have to put in the microservice initially if you just want to test it. We host it for you. But again, please put it in production. I recommend it. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the basic flow. We try to keep it as simple as possible. Sure. Yeah. When evaluating developer tools, I think that's an important thing. And it kind of keys into what you were saying before, that you should be able to opt into whatever depth of thing you need. Um, but a lot of devs who may be listening to this may need to go sell this to their team as, hey, this will make our lives better. Uh, and it's really, really generally better if you can do that by implementing it in a small place and saying, like, this is what this thing does at, in an atomic version of itself. Uh, can you, like, either we can see the value in this or not. And by not having to go and rewrite your entire application structure, your entire uh, API stack, whatever it may be, you at least are able to have the discussion and sort of sell that to your PMs or uh, business stakeholders, whoever the case may be there. That's uh, a very, very helpful set of features to have. Yeah, you also want to build confidence in this on your own. Just as you're, as a professional, you want to say, this is something that I trust. This is something that has the performance profile that we need. This would actually have the features and uh, interfaces that we need. So we also encourage our people to run this side by side with their existing authorization solution. And actually don't actually gate, don't actually enforce with us even. Just see that it produces the same result at the same pace as what you already have in place. Then it gradually builds confidence. Sometimes people would give it like a couple of days to run. Often they don't get to that. Like they, what they do that it works and it's running with it. But it's malleable enough for you to pick the right, the level of trust that you have and gradually grow with it and see that it doesn't bite you back just because you deployed it. It's a very human thing, right? Um, and we've actually, when it comes to making this more relevant for the bigger team, uh, this is where a lot of features 
that we have that people don't necessarily think about when they're building authorization come in. And those are the recursive features of authorization for authorization or permissions for permissions or roles for roles. So for example, we have a concept called a project and a concept called an environment. These are silos for your policy and data. A project would be an application that you run and you can have different applications, different policy. An environment would be a separate deployment of uh, the same application. Also can have, you want different policies in staging than you have production, for example. Um, and you can assign specific access to specific people to specific deployments. Um, so for example, oh, and that also enables kind of more complex R&D patterns as opposed to individual contributor patterns. So for example, you can say something like, um, as part of our preview branches, we, every time we deploy a new preview branch, um, we want to create an environment, a deployment environment thread, and we want to control the access to it as well. So use our API and you create a, a permit environment and you assign access to it only to the developer that deployed it. And so suddenly you have these dynamic patterns that are very easy to use that are not just about these uh, permissions and access control for your app for your customers. It's also how you as a developer with your team work on this in a way that you don't stop, stop on each other's toes. And these are the things that, that, A, it's really hard to build on your own or you even realize that you might need. And it's, I think, a big enabler for developers to work on as a team on these things. I can certainly imagine why it makes sense to spin up an entire product around that too. That represents a level of scope creep that started from, hey, we need two different types of users to, uh, you know, an entire galaxy of permissions and complexity that comes along with that. It's super fascinating. Uh, so tell me about what's next for Permit. What are you working on now? Uh, so we're working on something very exciting. That is, uh, uh, I think, uh, even a little groundbreaking and also kind of puzzling. It's called uh, FOAS which stands for front-end only authorization, which I think only by the, that title, like front-end only authorization, like that sounds like an oxymoron. How can you have authorization something secure in the front-end? Um, and the, the reason, the explanation for that is front-end only, just like uh, serverless has no servers. So we provide basically the uh, backend component that will do the authorization for your front-end. But the idea is that you'll be able to consume sensitive API directly from the front end without writing any backend. And I'll explain. Let's say you want to use uh, Twilio to send an SMS or Tribe to send an invoice, or you want to talk to a chat bot in Slack. You want to do this in your front end. Let just want to click a button, the user clicks a button and that happens. Currently, you can't do that. You have to write backend code that will add the secrets, will check for permission, and will actually call that external service. Otherwise, if you put that in the front end, it's exploitable. Um, first of all, everyone's going to steal your account key. And second, they'll just circumnavigate your permission because they could edit them in the front end. So what you usually do is you, if you're a front end developer, you go and ask a backend engineer to write this for you. Or if you're full stack or you're savvy enough, you'll go and write backend code in addition to the front end code that you actually want to write. Uh, but with FOAS, you can just take that off the table because FOAS is a generic purpose um, implementation of that backend component that you need to write. So it includes the R policy engine that can do any enforcement that you want on when is it okay for the identity running in the front end now to consume or use that external service. 
and you can apply the application logic, not just the end account, like the Twilio logic, the actually what it means in your application. And it injects the secret that you need for like the token for the, for Twilio or Stripe or whatever. And then proxies your call from the front end to the actual end service and returns the answer to you. So you can securely use that from the front end without giving up any of the security while not having to write blue code, which is like literally the amount of time people wrote the line of code that just proxies things to Twilio is, I dread, I just dread the thought so much wasted time. Um, and by the way, also, this also applies for your own code. Let's say you have a backend service that you want to consume and what you want to let people use, but you don't have the granular permissions that your customers want there. So ideally you end up embedding permit into that service. But let's say you don't want to open it up right now. You just want a quick solution. You can apply FOAS as a gateway there as well. So you can slap on permissions on whatever you need and focus on what's important for you now, but gradually already build up, build up that uh, um, groundwork to scale into a more complex permissions model. So, so that's, that is FOAS, front-end loan authorization. And we're launching it still in two ways. One is a standard as an open source standard and how you take general purpose decision and just open, couple them with vault solutions to manage the secrets. Um, and with a proxy that will do the actual calling, bundle those together with the standard and the schemas and APIs we offer. And this, uh, and you can implement FOAS on your own. And obviously as a service, we just provide it. We have this proxy component with the uh, management APIs and management UI. You can just get started and consume all of those um, sensitive services directly from the front end. And I think this is also very empowering for front-end developers. Uh, a, you're in, you have less dependency on the back-end and back-end engineers. And I think it finally, and I think this is important, it finally brings front-end engineers into the actual conversation of security. You're not just tagging along with the rest of the org, you can actually lead that conversation. I think that's important. We need, like, security is something that is really based on the weakest link. And if we have places where the, the conversation around security is not strong enough, this is where those vulnerabilities are going to arise. So we need to embrace everyone into that conversation. And hopefully this will enable front-end developers to do that. Yeah, sure. I can think of a lot of devs who will be happy that they don't have to think about splitting things out to the server side. And um, it's also an interesting problem for um, devs who are learning the ropes, right? Where it's not obvious when you come up with an idea for like, oh, I want to build this simple project for whatever it may be. Uh, and then one day you stumble into, oh, I, you know, I, what does a secret key mean? Why is it a secret? Who is it a secret from? And you suddenly realize that you've left yourself open to attack and things like that. Um, generally speaking, right to date, certainly the um, path to take for that is to go spin up a server somewhere or to use a Lambda or in some cases an edge, uh, edge deployment to be able to execute that code. Um, why do you think it's uh, interesting to do this now? And why is this um, an important use case to start tackling? So first of all, we are seeing an emergence in this, the entire IAM space as the complexity of software continues to arise. This entire space with us and regardless of us is constantly evolving. We're seeing new products come in as also we're seeing more threats come in. Um, as applications become more complex, they also store more value and more data. And more people want to um, take advantage of that. 
So the risks that we're facing are also on the rise and this entire space is a result of that. It's also on the rise. So, and then that's basically supply and demand. More engineers need these things. More engineers need to build more of these things. More engineers need more velocity against this, these things. So they want to just build their software, but they're stuck building all these security features, all of this glue code or um, security additions that they need to add. So we want to simplify that. We want to take it back to basic. We want to enable the front-end code to focus on being front-end code and easily consume the services without having to build the actual security components, but be able to consume them. Um, so I think at the basics, just supply and demand. And for us, we've already built this general purpose, easy to manage uh, policy engine that you can do all the policies you want with, uh, as I said, an interface that a monkey can use. Uh, so that really can take that friction off. And this is, I think, what you want here as a front-end developer. You want the velocity to build your app without the hassle. So that's what we're bringing to the table. Yeah, and maybe it'll uh, allow my fellow front-end developers to stop needing to call themselves full-stack developers to get any respect around here. Uh, you know, especially now that GitHub Copilot is is able to cough up people's uh, dirty secrets in their code. Like, uh, I think that was one thing that was found pretty early on is API keys that GitHub Copilot knows about from someone else's environment that actually got accidentally got committed to Git and all that. Um, yeah, it's a super fascinating use case. So you, you're in early access right now, is that what you said? Yes, so we're launching it for everyone very soon. Maybe when this is launched, it's already, when this uh, podcast goes live, maybe we've already launched it. Um, but either way, it's very, very soon. And uh, those that want early access, there's a button on our website. Uh, sign up and you'll get, you'll get that access as well. That's great. Well, I will make sure that we also have a link to FOAS in our show notes here. Uh, and it sounds like, or you're a pretty accessible guy on the internet. So, uh, for for listeners to the show, I would encourage you to reach out to Or. Um, it's uh, been a very very fascinating conversation. I think you're under some really cool stuff uh, at Permit. Uh, I would be more than interested in chatting with you again in the future as things develop and as the IM space tends to keep changing too. Um, or Weiss, thank you so much for joining today. It was really a pleasure to have you on APIs You Won't Hate. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you, Mike. I look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks again. We'll do it soon. Don't yeah, reach out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for it. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.